0: Welcome to Women Studying the Word. I'm your host, Meredith Beattie. This is the podcast for women who want to study their Bibles but are unsure how and where to start. I'm here for you to give you the tools and encouragement you need to dig deeper into the Word. No matter who you are or where you are in this process, you can do this. So let's get started. Hey everyone and welcome back. I've been leading you through the Book of Psalms this season and Today we're going to go through Psalms 42 and 43, and I'll explain why 43 soon enough. They actually go together as one psalm. But before we get into that, I need to tell you about lemon iced cookies because I promised that I would make this recipe and I hadn't done it until the other day. And so I got everything ready, and i started to make the recipe and it turned out really good i like it i mean (laughs) i think i've said before that some of the people in my family don't have the same type of palette or taste that i have but i really like lemon stuff and so i was excited to make these um but i was a little unsure because there was so much lemon zest in these cookies i could not believe it and that's one thing that I really don't like doing in cooking and baking is getting the zest off of lemons or oranges or whatever. Cause I just don't feel like I have the right tool to do it. I, I have a box grater, but um, I really should have a special um, lemon zester or or something to do that with. And so it just always seems to take a lot of time. And um, it just seems like it if there's a lot of zest that you have to get, um, it takes a lot of lemons to get all the zest that I wanted. So, so but I did do that, um, but I was a little concerned there was too much lemon zest in there because in the cookies themselves, there was like a tablespoon of zest and, and a bunch of lemon juice. And then there's a glaze that had even more lemon zest and lemon juice in it. So I was a little afraid, but when um, everything was done, I did taste them and I thought they were good. But um, my husband, who's more of a Chips Ahoy and Milk type of guy, he, those are not, these are not his favorite cookies. So I guess I'm gonna have to eat them all, which, is, which isn't which is bad. I will definitely eat them all. And uh, since I only have one kid in the house right now, um, I think I'm pretty safe in saving all these cookies for myself. So that's how that recipe went, and we'll see what I do next. Um, but um, these were pretty good so let's now get into psalm 42 and 43. let's not waste any time and i'm going to read these two psalms and then i'm going to pray psalm 42 to the choir master a mascal of the sons of Korah. as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you O god my soul thirsts for god for the living god I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then Psalm 43 Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lord, as as we examine these psalms together, I thank you for your word, I thank you for the truth in it, I thank you, Lord, that the Psalms are so honest and help us to learn how to pray. So I pray, Lord, for those listening and for myself, that you would open our eyes to the wonders in your word, that you would help us to learn how to be honest in prayer and how to experience your joy, how to experience your presence when we go to you in prayer. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So as an introduction, I wanna ask you a question. How is your prayer life? Do you know how to pray? If we're honest, most of us struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer. Um, We're not sure how to do it or if we're doing it right, so to speak. I think also prayer is a relational journey that will never end. We're always learning how to pray. But another obstacle in prayer, at least, from my perspective, is our unpredictable emotions. How do we deal with those? One day we're up, one day we're down, and we're just not sure how to handle that. I remember when I was younger, in my 20s, I really struggled with this. I can't tell you how many times I started out a journal entry with the words, I don't know what's wrong with me, Lord, I guess I felt like I had to begin my time in prayer with just the right emotional frame of mind. And most of the time I wasn't in that perfect emotional state that I wanted, but this is why these, the Psalms are so important. And this is why I think we're so drawn to them. They're brutally honest. And if we're willing, they can act as a tutor teaching us, not only how to pray, but how to handle our emotions, really how to handle ourselves. Tim Keller wrote a book called the songs of Jesus. And that's a really great book. Um, it's a book where it's kind of a devotional where he, um, writes commentary on each of the Psalms and then leads you in prayer. And that book really came out of a time of trial when he and his wife realized that if they didn't get down to business and start praying together, they might drown underneath all the stress and strain in their lives. Um, Tim Keller also learned what Eugene Peterson talks about in his book, Answering God. He learned that we only pray well when we're immersed in the scripture and the Psalms teach us our prayer vocabulary. And I've come to learn that as well. And these Psalms, Psalm 42 and 43, have really played a big part in this. So by the time, by the end of our time here in Psalms 42 and 43, I hope you'll be encouraged to pray more honestly and really learn how to take yourself in hand and enter God's presence, knowing that in the midst of any situation or a flurry of emotion or whatever trial or suffering you're going through, you can ground your hope in God and God alone. So let's start where we always start by looking at the context. Who wrote this psalm? Well, in this case, we have a title or a superscription to the psalm. It gives us some background information, and it says it's a masculine of the sons of Korah. So first, you'd want to ask yourself, what is a masculine? The little note in my Bible says it's a musical term, but I also looked online for more information. And you can do this too. Um, there's a website called gotquestions.org. It sounds really you know basic but it really has provided a lot of great information for me and i use it a lot as a resource when i'm studying the bible when i have a particular question so that's gotquestions.org and this is what they say about the word masculine they say masculine is a term of uncertain meaning found in the book of psalms most bible translations suggest that masculine is a literary or musical term Most likely, it relates to the purpose of specific psalms, or how they were performed or recited. Now, unfortunately, the exact meaning of this word has been lost over time, so we'll have to be content with not knowing, and I don't think that's going to really hurt our study. But what about the sons of Korah? Who are they? Well, that one is more easily answered, and in your bible you should see a a cross reference to first chronicles 6 33 and 37 and if you turn to that you'll find that starting in verse 31 of first chronicles 6 is a list of the men that david put in charge of the service of song in the house of the lord there's a bunch of names that i won't read because they're really hard to pronounce but These men are all from the tribe of Levi, and they had a certain duty related to the temple, and that was leading worship. So the sons of Korah were most likely temple musicians, and as we get into the psalm, we'll see evidence of that. Now, I said a couple minutes ago that that Psalms 42 and 43 go together. Now, how do we know that? Well, I have to admit, I didn't come up with that myself. Um, I learned that in a commentary, but what they said was in reading these Psalms back to back and over and over again, um, remember that repetitive reading is one of the most important skills you can practice in Bible study. We see the same themes and the same refrain in verses five and 11 and then verse five in Psalm 43. They're, those are all repeated refrains. And then if we look at all the Psalms in this section or this book inside the Psalms, this is book two of the Psalms, Psalm 42 through Psalm 71, make up book two. We also see that every one of those Psalms has a title except Psalm 43. So most scholars believe that these two Psalms were meant to go together and we will study them as if they're one. And I think you will soon find out, you know, you can really find out pretty soon as you read, just do some cursory reading over and over again of these Psalms that yes, they, they have the same mood, same tone, and they have that repeated refrain. So you'll also, as you start reading slowly and prayerfully, you'll, you'll start noticing things being repeated. And remember, you can mark those down, you can circle them, highlight them, whatever whatever you like to do. And so you'd wanna ask yourself, what word is repeated the most in these Psalms? And what we find is that the name of God is repeated 14 times. And then the words why, when, and where are repeated nine times. And this is going to be important in identifying what kind of psalm this is. And then six times we have words like my soul or longing, hoping, cast down, oppression. Now these these words aren't the same words, but they do express the same kind of sentiment. And we're gonna get to what that sentiment or dominant theme is, but you might already be guessing what it is. And then the repeated refrain we already mentioned before, that is really the key to understanding what's going on. So so make sure you mark that. We have this refrain three times, verse five, 11, and then in Psalm 43, verse five, it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This refrain is going to help us see the structure of these psalms. They frame the end of each section in a powerfully emotional way, maybe acting as a kind of literary coda. So let's take all this that we've seen so far. It's not much, but we can take the repeated words, phrases, this refrain, and we can now go on and start noticing the imagery. So remember that imagery and poetry is meant to trigger emotions. It's it's meant to paint a picture and help us relate, help us enter into what this person is going through. And in that, we're not just going to gain head knowledge. No, we're, we're meant to enter into the psalmist's experience and really be taught how to pray just like this guy, this member, um, this person who is of the sons of Korah. So first of all, in verse one, We have the image of a deer panting for flowing streams. So that definitely communicates something. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Verse three, it talks about my tears have been my food day and night. So that is a powerful metaphor. And then verse four, it talks about pouring out my soul. So think about, that's kind of like an image of pouring out a drink, um, pouring out water. And then in verse seven, we get some more watery imagery we have this phrase deep calls to deep we have waterfalls breakers and waves so that's that's another powerful image and then verse 10 talks about um uses a simile as with a deadly wound in my bones so that's some of the imagery that's going on in at least psalm 42 Um, i'm sure there's more but this is what you want to be looking for after you've seen Repeated words, phrases, that repeated refrain, just start collecting uh the imagery in the Psalms. You might want to write that down on a piece of notebook paper or just mark it a special way on your copy of the text. Remember you can print out uh psalms are really um easy to study this way in printing out a copy of the passage and then just marking it up however you want, however it helps you. So the images that I've just talked about, what what do they trigger? What do they communicate? Well, without getting specific yet, we can see that it's talking about a deep desire for God, a longing, despair, turmoil of soul, mourning, being overwhelmed. So now let's put all this together, this preliminary information, and ask ourselves what dominant theme stands out. I think three things stand out. This is how I see it. We have a person going through a troubled time. He's desperate. And we also have a prayer directed to God. And then thirdly, we have that repeated exhortation to hope. So this leads us to the question of what kind of Psalm this is. The repeated words, the imagery helps us to figure this out, what kind of Psalm this is. And this desperate language, this language that I said was repeated like nine times, why and when and where, this is what constitutes a classic lament. Are you familiar with the word lament? More importantly, I wanna ask, do you know how to lament? That word lament really isn't used, I mean, in modern day language. I'm not familiar with anybody really talking about lamenting. But lament occupies a huge part of the Psalms. But unfortunately, it's a subject that I believe is foreign to a lot of us. We, you know, we're not we're not just unfamiliar with the word. We are definitely unfamiliar with the practice. But it's there in the Bible for a reason. And so I think it's essential that we know why and learn from these kinds of Psalms. I think this may be a missing part of a lot of our prayer lives. It's like, It's like our prayer vocabulary is missing a key section. So think about a dictionary, right? And what if the dictionary were missing a a whole bunch of entries for like E, F, G, and H? You know, there were no entries. (laughs) That would be really bad, okay? So just think about our prayer vocabulary having all um, all this information and a huge chunk of it is missing. Well, I'm going to lean on author Mark Vrogop for a definition of lament. And let me spell his name for you because it's really hard to, it's it's hard to spell. It's V-R-O-E-G-O-P. And I'll definitely make sure to mention this in the show notes and maybe in the resources page of my website. But again, his name is Mark Vrogop. And he wrote a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy and in it he points out that at least one third of the psalms are laments i've i've even read other scholars to talk about even more than one third of the psalms are laments but think about that at least one third of the psalms are laments and i didn't realize that until i started studying the psalms so this is how vrogop defines lament and i'm going to repeat this so you you might want to write this down Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust or a pathway to praise when life gets hard. So I'll repeat that again. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust or a pathway to praise when life gets hard. And he also shares four elements we can usually find in a lament. One is a turn to God. Second, we bring our complaints. In other words, we don't hide thinking we have to feel a certain way before we approach God. We are honest about what's going on. Thirdly, we ask boldly for what we need. And then fourth, we choose to trust. And that framework is a little bit of a generalization. It doesn't apply to every lament. But usually, laments end on a positive note, and we'll see at the end of our study what happens when we're done with Psalms 42 and 43. But for now, as we go through each section of Psalm 42 and 43, I want you to pay attention to where and how all four of these elements are highlighted. Again, they are, one, a turn to God, second, a bringing of complaint, third, a bold asking, and fourth, a choice to trust. So let me read this first section again, verses 1 to 5, and we will dig deeply into that. So Psalm 42, 1 through 5 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So let's examine this first image in verses 1 and 2. It talks about a deer panting for flowing streams. So here he compares a deer panting and thirsting to his soul longing and thirsting after God. So how can we dig into this more? Well, you could look up the word pant and find a definition. That's always a, good, that's always a good first step is to look up words in the dictionary, even words you think you know what they mean. So what do we find when we look up pant? Well, it says to long with breathless or intense eagerness to yearn to have strong desire. So the psalmist is longing for God just as a deer eagerly desires water. So think about it. The deer's panting is caused by a lack of water. And the psalmist is thirsting for God because he has a lack of God. He feels distant from God. The deer cannot live without water and the psalmist cannot live without God. There's also some cross-references we can examine that will broaden our, our, our understanding of this first, these first two verses. Psalm 63, 1 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then Psalm 84, 2 has the same sort of longing and fainting imagery. It says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Now, so, uh, in verse 2, the desperation seems to intensify even more because he calls on God three times. And in the second half of the verse, we have the word When? The first use of these kind of lament words, why, when, where, and he's bringing questions and complaints before God. Here, it seems that he's not just feeling spiritually distant from God, but physically distant, and we'll find out more about that in verse 4. Then in verses 3 and 4, they give us more information about the psalmist's situation. First, he gives us another metaphor that details his despair. He, he says, his tears have been his food. So he's probably so troubled that he can't eat. And one of the reasons why is that he seems to be surrounded by a nameless they, people who are accusing him. And they say to him constantly, where is your God? Um, You might wanna imagine them taunting this person saying, where's your God? He's nowhere. Why Why are you thirsting after him? Why are you so intent on him? Well, later on in the Psalm, there's something very similar because in verse 10, we read of adversaries taunting him with the same thing. Where is your God? So this person finds himself not only distant from God, but he's surrounded by enemies of God who just don't even care. They don't even believe that God exists. So this question or taunt might sound familiar to you if if you've read your Bible a lot, if you're really familiar with other passages, other things in the Psalms. Here you can again use your cross references. Both Psalm 7910 and Psalm 115.2 have the same taunt. Where is your God? And don't we also feel this at times? Don't we also feel accused? Maybe not by physical you know, people around us, but our own thoughts or even by the enemy of our souls. We think, where is God in this situation? Well, then verse four, we really get to know more. It says this, these things I remember as I poured out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So what is he talking about here? Well, we'd want to use our comprehension skills, our skills in reading closely and reading for detail. So let's ask, what is he remembering? Well, I think he's remembering a time in the past when he would lead a multitude of people to the house of God. And what are they doing? Well, they're worshiping, they're keeping festival. So this guy, our psalmist, is a worship leader. Now, we already knew that from our work in figuring out who the sons of Korah are. But let's ask this question. Why is he talking about this as if it's in the past? Right. Make sure you notice the the verb tense here. He's talking about things going on in the past. So what's going on with him? Is he far from the house of God? Well, remember that the people of God were supposed to worship strictly in Jerusalem, right? They were strictly to to worship and to sacrifice in the temple. Well, perhaps he's away from Jerusalem. Perhaps he's in exile. Uh, We don't know exactly when this Psalm was written. Um, But we do know that he's surrounded by those who taunt him, people who don't believe in God, and that he's remembering a time in the past when he would lead the people in worship with gladness and joy. So let's put the picture together and summarize what's going on in these first four verses before we talk about the refrain in verse five. And again, I've said this before in the podcast when we've been studying, um, summarizing things is a really good um, skill in Bible study—it's really going to help you understand um, what's going on. Just put it in your own words and try to interpret. After you've dug into the details and use those comprehension skills, you can try to summarize what's going on here. So, what is going on in verse one to four? Well, I think we have a picture of a worship leader of the people of God desperately seeking God. He feels distant from God and is surrounded by those who taunt him. So he's not in a good place, is he? This leads us into verse five, and we want to pay particular attention at this point because remember, this is the first um, repetition of this refrain. It's going to act as a key part of the psalmist's lament, and it's going to teach us some good lessons on how to lament, how to handle these kinds of trials and the emotional distress that goes with it. So verse five starts in classic lament fashion. Why, right? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, this verse has so much in it, I could totally geek out on it. Um, But since it's repeated, um, we're not gonna unearth all the riches at once. But what do we wanna notice first? Well, first let's ask this question, who exactly is he talking to? He's talking to himself and try to imagine how he's talking. What tone of voice do you think he'd be using? Would this be like kind of a reassuring pat on the head kind of talk? Oh, it's okay. Or maybe it's a talk of like a football coach. That he would give his team after they'd been humiliated in the first half of the game and they went into the locker room and he was giving them a really, he's giving them a pep talk. Well, I think it's the latter. I think he's preaching to himself. This is, this is what I call it. He's, he's preaching to himself. He's almost arguing with his soul. I heard someone characterize it as getting bossy with yourself. And I really love that way of putting it. So getting a little more specific, you can look at a different translation and maybe look up some cross references, cross references too. For instance, cast down, that's not something, that's not the way that we talk sometimes. We don't say, oh, I'm cast down. But it can also be translated downcast or in despair or dejected. And then in Psalm 77.3, which is another lament psalm that we're gonna look at, at in the coming weeks, it says something similar. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And I think this is what he's feeling. This is what it means for his soul to be cast down. Going back to earlier in the episode, I described a time in my life when I would write in my journal or come to prayer with God and say, Lord, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? And I felt guilty for saying that, but... Look here in verse five of Psalm 42. This is what the author of this Psalm is basically saying. He is expressing the same kind of feelings. He's honest about the distress and anguish of his soul. But unlike what I did, I got wrapped up in guilt and shame and continued to focus on myself. He does something different. He kind of pivots and he starts preaching to himself. Look at the second half of the verse. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So step back and really think about what he's doing here. First, he's honest about the turmoil of his soul. And as a way of maybe applying this word to yourself right now, ask yourself, are you honest with God? Do you feel free to express that in prayer, whatever it is? Some of us Some of us don't feel like that's okay to do, but this is what lament is. It is being able to come face to face with all the mess in your life, but then there is more. We don't wanna stay there. We don't wanna just express all of our messy emotions and everything and just stay there and not do anything. We need to start talking back to ourselves, right? Do you know how to do this? Usually we accuse ourselves. We feel guilty for not being happy or having joy. We believe the lie that Christians should always be happy or we allow the enemy to accuse us. And then what happens? Well, we wallow in self-pity or depression or we end up just stuffing those anxious feelings and all the uncomfortable questions. But what if we learned a different way What if lament, instead of being a scary thing, was actually a biblical therapeutic to reorient ourselves? Tremper Longman calls lament songs of disorientation. I really like the way he puts that. We feel out of sorts, deeply out of sorts sometimes, and we need to learn how to take ourselves in hand and turn our souls in the right direction. Last week, I watched a funny video on the internet I know there's there's lots of funny videos out there, but um, this one was of a mama bear and her four cubs. Somehow, these um, the mama bear and her four cubs found themselves trying to cross a busy street. Well, she got three of the cubs to cross, but the fourth was not having it, and this cub started climbing a telephone pole. So the mama bear had to go back and grab this straggler by the scruff of its neck, to redirect him, um, just point him in the right direction to go across the street. But meanwhile, one of the other cubs who'd already crossed went back across to its mother, and so here she is grabbing one by the scruff of its neck and then the other, and all the while, these cubs didn't want to go the right way and cross the street. And I thought that was a great image of what we experienced too. Life is hard, and our emotions are hard to get a handle on. We ourselves, it's hard to get a handle on ourselves sometimes, isn't it? But our psalmist takes himself by the scruff of the neck, so to speak, and tells himself to hope in God. But we'll soon see that his lamenting, this lamenting that he's doing, doesn't end here. So let's read verses 6 through 11. Verse 6 through 11 of Psalm 42 say, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So his preaching to himself in verse 5 did not result in immediate relief, did it? He says again, my soul is cast down within me. And I think that communicates to me that we are so impatient, aren't we? We think we should just be able to pray some magic words and within a very short time we'll experience some relief. But most of the time it doesn't work that way, does it? A lot of us, I think, you know, we go through very dry spells with the Lord sometimes. And it's really hard to admit that because. A lot of times we just don't feel like that should be the normal Christian experience, but I think it's going to be reassuring to see that the psalmist also does not experience immediate relief. He goes on to say that he remembers God from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. So where are these three places? Um, It's not not really easy to figure this out. And here's where cross-references don't really help us. So... So we'd want to go to commentaries and try to figure out where these places are, but even the commentaries can't really tell us specifically where this is, just that it's far away from Jerusalem from where the Psalmist lives. But remember to ask yourself in this type of situation in Bible study, if knowing where these places are specifically is really that important. Um, I think all we really need to know is that this guy is far from where he's used to living. And in verse seven, we get some imagery that further expresses his grief and distress. It says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I've always been confused by this phrase, deep calls to deep. And when I first studied this Psalm, I was just, I was excited to try to figure out exactly what this means, but I never really figured it out. But I don't, I don't really think that's important because I think you just need to take all of this water imagery together and just look at it all together. So um, I think some cross references and some biblical literacy can help us. Psalm 88 is another lament Psalm and it talks about waves overwhelming someone. And then Jonah 2, 3, I think gives us a lot of help. It says this. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. There's the same imagery there in Jonah, and we know what's going on with Jonah. Um, Most of us know the story of Jonah. He was in the belly of the fish. And in Psalm 42, in this uh, verse 7, I think we have the same idea. Because waves and floods and the sea all communicate in the Bible a feeling of drowning and hopelessness and and helplessness there's a lack of control but look at verse 8 it says by day the lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me a prayer to the god of my life that seems positive it doesn't it doesn't seem like it follows logically from verse 7 and neither does verse 10 when it goes into more detail about his grief and his enemies he talks about deadly wounds. The NIV says, My bones suffer mortal agony. And adversaries insulting him again with the taunt of, Where is your God? So, what's going on here? Why does it seem, if you look at verses 6 to 10, it seems he's emotionally going back and forth and up and down. Well, I really think this is a realistic portrait of the spiritual life, if we're honest. We so want things to be tied up in a pretty bow, but we know that uh, that doesn't always happen in life. I mean, usually, I don't know, maybe it it's very rare that things get tied up in a pretty bow in our lives, right? Life is not linear. It's not always this upward trajectory. If you mapped it out on a graph, you'd see ups and downs, ups and downs, and then some plateaus in between. And we should really thank God that he's given us these lament psalms to show us as an example of someone else going up and down, struggling with pain, and using prayer to process it all. This is what it looks like. We wrestle in prayer with God, going back and forth, up and down, agonizing and trying to make sense of our circumstances in light of God's truth. The psalmist expresses all the ugliness of what he's feeling and going through, and yet He still presses into the truth of who God is in verse eight. He knows the truth in his head, but in his present circumstance, it just doesn't seem to make sense. And I think we all can really relate to this, don't you think? Because a lot of times the truth we know in our head is just not getting into our hearts, right? So we have to keep going back to God, being honest, and then all the while preaching that truth to to ourselves. So this is why I think he needs to again repeat the refrain in verse 11. He again preaches to his soul, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. As we look at this refrain again, let's look for more by noticing the verb tense in the second half of the verse. It says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He is telling himself that in the future, he will praise God again. And don't think this is some kind of power of positive thinking. Positive thinking can a lot of times focus exclusively on ourselves. But the kind of language here in the psalm is deeply rooted in biblical hope. And you might ask yourself, what is hope? Here is where you could take a really deep dive into the cross references and and more so into a concordance to really mine the depths of what it means to hope in God. So if you're not familiar with what a concordance is, a concordance is, an exhaustive concordance is where it tells you, um, it lists all the words in the Bible and it tells you like where you can find the word hope in every single passage in the Bible. Now, this could take a while, but um, a lot of times it is so worth it to do these kind of word studies. So let me share with you some verses I found on hope. One is Psalm 62, 5, and it says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. And then here's a classic one from Lamentations 3, 21 to 24. But this I call to mind and therefore have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So in that verse, we have um, hope used as a noun and as a verb. So already in these two verses, we're getting a lot more information about what hope is, what a biblical um, portrait of hope is. And then Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then one of my favorites is Hebrews 6, 19 to 20. And it says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what can we learn from these few verses about biblical hope? Well, biblical hope is future-oriented, and it's also rooted in God's character, in his faithfulness, his promise to be faithful to his covenant. And by including these New Testament references, I think you can start to see how this psalm is pointing us to Christ, whose resurrection anchors and strengthens our hope. And we're going to focus in on that more at the end of the episode. So how do you see, let me ask you this, how do you see hope active in your life? Is it biblical hope or is it just some superficial wish based on nothing in particular? And what do we usually place our hope in? What can strengthen our hope? These are some application questions you might want to ponder as you study and meditate on this psalm. You know, a lot of times in our lives, we just have these fleeting, superficial hopes. We say, Oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, or I hope that my my son will come home and visit me soon. (laughs) My son has been moved out for a while now. And so um, he hasn't gotten in the habit of coming back to visit yet. So I can say, well, I hope he'll come back um, soon and visit us and maybe have dinner with us. But what is my hope? Is that the kind of hope that the Bible is talking about? Um, I really don't think so. I think we... I myself need to practice a lot more this biblical kind of hope that is really future oriented and, and tethered to God's word and his promises. So those are some application questions you'd want to really dwell on, really ask God to help you understand whether you have this kind of biblical hope. If you're, what are some things that are strengthening your hope? Um, How can you put that into practice in your life? Well, we've come to the end of Psalm 42, so ask yourself, where do you think the psalmist is at this point? Do you think his situation has been resolved? Um, I don't think it has, so we need to go on to Psalm 43 and learn more. So I'm going to read Psalm 43 again. It says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So let's examine how Psalm 43 starts. Immediately, it's really immediate how he gets into crying out to God, right? And he's crying out to God to vindicate him, to defend and deliver him. Against whom? Well, here we get a little more specific about the same people who are surrounding and taunting this person. They are ungodly, they are unfaithful, deceitful, and unjust. So his situation seems to have gotten more intense, and his lamenting has not ceased. He persists in prayer, telling God that he is his shelter, his protection. But then he asks why two times. The truth in his head that God is his refuge is not matching up with his reality and what he feels. He says, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? I don't think that he really believes that God has rejected him, but just like us, we go through circumstances and suffering in our lives and it feels like God has rejected us, right? So our feelings can really communicate things that are not necessarily true. Remember that. And then we get to what I think is the climax of these two Psalms verses three and four. So notice in verse three, how many times the pronoun your shows up. Four times it shows up. And then in verse four, how many times does the word God show up? Well, it shows up again, four times. And what is he asking in verse three? He says, he talks about sending out light and truth. That's what he wants God to do. And you might ask yourself, well, why those things? Why light and truth? Um, but what has he been dealing with? You can ask yourself, what are his circumstances that would cause him to ask God to send out his light and truth? Well, he's been in a dark place, oppressed by those who taunt him and lie to him and lie about him and lie about his God. So he needs God's light and truth which, according to Derek Kidner, are symbols of divine faithfulness. He needs God's light and truth to lead him. And lead him where? Well, to God's holy hill, his dwelling. And the holy hill he is talking about is referring to Mount Zion, God's dwelling place. Now, of course, we know that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. But the Bible also talks about the dwelling place of God. Psalm 46.4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And Psalm 87, 1 to 3 says, On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Now, we could really become Bible nerds here and take a lot of time to go down this rabbit trail of Zion and the dwelling place of the Lord. But we want to focus on the context of Psalm 43. What is the psalmist asking? Where is he directing his heart and his affections? Well, it's on getting back to God. Again, this is you know, gets back to the beginning of Psalm 42, he's longing for God. He's remembering how he would lead the people in worship of God. So he really wants to get back to God. He wants to get back to Jerusalem, the place where God has promised to dwell with his people, the place where the people brought their sacrifices and kept festival and worship together. And his affections intensify even more in verse four when he says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I really, I really love that phrase, don't you? God my exceeding joy. The CSB says, God my greatest joy. The NIV says, God my joy and my delight. And the NLT says, God the source of all my joy. You really get the sense here that. The psalmist's affections are just so deeply rooted and directed towards God. He knows that God is his exceeding joy, even though it doesn't. His circumstances are not joyful right now, right? He has rooted his joy in God, and then he says, "I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God." Remember back in Psalm forty-two, four again. He remembers how in the past he would lead the people in worship, but here. Again, notice the verb tense here in Psalm 43, I will praise you with the liar. At this point, I think really his hope is surging. Maybe his delight in God is overcoming this darkness and depression he's been going through. Remember that quote from Mark Vrogop I shared with you about lament earlier? He said, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust or a pathway to praise when life gets hard. And life is hard for this guy right now. It doesn't look like his situation is going to change anytime soon. But notice that I think he is turning right here. He's turning to trust. He is finding that pathway to praise. Because notice what he wants and notice what he focuses on. Does he want vengeance or retribution for these enemies that are taunting him? No, he wants God his lamenting has turned the direction of his heart toward God and away from his trouble. And so when he, for the last time, repeats this refrain in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Do you think he's in a different place now than in the beginning? Do you think maybe that this third time that he's repeated this refrain He's saying it with a different tone of voice. His situation hasn't changed, but has he changed? I really think he has. And how has that change occurred? Well, he has learned how to practice lament. He has, again, borrowing from Mark Rogop, he's learned to turn to God. He learned how to bring his complaints, ask boldly, and he's chosen to trust Or in the language of these Psalms, he's chosen to hope. Our Psalmist chose to trust and hope in God, in his exile away from God. That was his context, that was his situation, right? But let's turn and ask, what's the message for us today? Well, you might be familiar with the fact that we're also called exiles, right? I'm gonna go back to that passage in 1 Peter. If you read in first Peter, the first verse, it calls the saints exiles, right? And going back to that verse I quoted earlier, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And going on, it says to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, that's First Peter 1, 3 through 5. What the Old Testament saints and what this guy in this that this psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43 could only see dimly is now an accomplished reality for us. Jesus Christ is our living hope. It's not some castle in the air that we've constructed in our imaginations, right? That's not what our hope is. Hebrews says that it's an anchor of our soul. The fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has guaranteed all the promises of God for his people. Now, the concrete reality of this hope doesn't mean we won't go through hard times. We are exiles, and we will and are suffering in this life. But learning how to lament like our psalmist... It's really important he preached hope to himself in the dark places and we can too do you know how to lament that's the question for us today do i know how to lament how can this psalm help us i want you to think about these things and go back and study the psalm for yourself when you're going through a dry period when you're going through a time of suffering and pain and you just don't know where god is When you're hearing those voices, either from yourself or from the enemy of your soul or just from a real human being surrounded you, where is your God? Go back to Psalm 42 and 43 and use it as a guide to help you learn how to lament. Now this isn't the last time we're gonna talk about lament. I feel really strongly that this is an area where most Christians are really deficient. So many of us, myself included, struggle with anxiety and fear in this life And we don't know how to process our emotions and our struggles. And even more so, our kids don't know how to handle their emotions, right? A lot of us as parents of teenagers or adult children know this to be true, that a lot of children and um, teenagers and, and young adults are struggling with anxiety and fear and they don't know what to do with it. But God has given us a gift in these lament psalms, a way to process all our emotions, all our pain through prayer. Now I'm not saying that medication is never necessary. Definitely medication sometimes is necessary, but God has also given us this great gift in the word, this thing that maybe is totally missing from our prayer vocabulary. And if we don't know and we don't learn how to do this, how to lament, we won't know how to teach our kids, right? So think about that, think about lament, go back and study this Psalm for yourself and really ponder what it means to lament. Ponder um, the thing I talked about, about preaching to yourself. In the next episode, I'm gonna go a little deeper into that, preaching to yourself, because that is just such a another thing that we can learn how to do. But thanks for listening today. I hope you appreciated this deep dive into Psalm 42 and 43. Remember to go to the website for study and discussion questions and just click on resources to find that. And make sure to check out the show notes for any resources I mentioned in this episode. I know I mentioned a few different books and authors, so look for that in the show notes. And finally, if you like what I'm doing here, consider supporting this podcast with a small monthly donation. I'd really appreciate that. You can go to anchor.fm slash meredith43 and click on the support button. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. I really appreciate all my supporters out there. And if you have any questions or comments about this episode, you can find me on Instagram at womenstudyingtheword or email me at, at womenstudyingtheword.com. And again, you'll find links to that in the show notes too. So finally, remember, wherever you are in your journey of understanding the Bible, you can do this. You can go one step further, one step deeper, and I am here to help. Bye for now.